0: And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh, Lord my God. When my, faint, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry ground. Let's pray. Father, Father, We come joyful this morning because of an empty tomb. I pray that that joy would not be pretend. I pray that it would be rooted deeply in what we read here in Jonah chapter 2. I pray that our joy this day would not be because of circumstances or just because of a special day but that our joy would be rooted deeply in the truth that salvation belongs to the Lord. Would you help us as we come to this story, as we come to this song? Open our eyes and our ears, open our hearts and our lives to receive this joyful word and to be changed by it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. That's a quote from a letter written by Flannery O'Connor, one of my favorite authors, and someone, if you know her works, you know that she was particularly gifted at capturing the strangeness of grace. The oddity of the Christian message, you shall know the truth and it shall make you odd. Let's be honest this morning, we are here because of an odd truth. Think about what we just read. A man singing in the stomach of some sort of sea creature, which then expels him onto dry ground. And listen, I'm, I'm taking the book of Jonah at face value. This story is told as if it actually happened. There are some who want to say that this is a parable or a folk tale. And even if you say that, you cannot deny its strangeness. Because this story communicates its truth by way of fish vomit. <laughs> and an even stranger turn. In Matthew 12 and other places in the New Testament Gospels, Jesus says that story, that story about fish vomit, it's about me. That is about me, that strange, weird story about a man in the belly of the fish, it's about me because like Jonah, like Jonah went into the belly of the fish, Jesus says, I will go into the belly of the earth. I will go into the grave. And then the implication is, the implication that's played out on Easter Sunday morning is, just as the belly of the fish could not keep its meal down, neither would the belly of the earth be able to keep its meal down. Just as the belly of the fish cannot hold Jonah, the belly of the grave will not be able to hold Jesus. That's an odd truth. If you believe, if you embrace the truth of Easter, it will make you odd. So why should we do that? Why should we receive this truth? Why should we believe this truth? Why should we embrace it? Why should we give our lives to the odd truth of an empty tomb? Well, I want to take that question and bring it to this text. I want to bring it to what we read in Jonah chapter 2. And what we will see here is that we should embrace the truth of an empty tomb because of what it says about us and what it says about God. So first of all, us. Jonah sings about death in this chapter. He talks about descending, going down into the grave, into Sheol. Sheol was the place of the dead in the Old Testament. He talks about going down into the pit. And of course, Jonah talks about a particular type of death, doesn't he? He sings about drowning. And remember that Jonah has been headed in this direction from the beginning. God tells him, get up Jonah and go east. And Jonah gets up and he goes west. But as we saw last week, as he goes west, he also goes down. There's a repetition of that phrase, Jonah went down, Jonah went down, Jonah went down, and the repetition comes even in verse 6 of our text, the final going down. So Jonah goes down to Joppa, he goes down to the ship, he goes down into the hold of the ship, and then he goes down into a watery grave. Now that's bad enough, but it gets worse. Because to feel this poem to feel what Jonah sings here, you have to understand that ancient Israelites were absolutely terrified of the sea. They would not have been good Floridians. Absolutely terrified of the sea. And they were terrified of the sea, uh, not just because of drowning, not just because the sea and drowning is a terrible way to die, but there was more. They saw the sea as a representation of chaos. Uncontrollable danger. Danger not only to an individual, but the sea for them represented the possibility of the undoing of all that is good and stable. The undoing of all creation. That's what the sea, that's how it stood in the mind and the imagination of an ancient Israelite. One of the reasons for that symbolism was the difference and the distance from the sea and the mountains. The distance between the sea and the mountains. So the Israelites feared the sea because they longed for the mountains. Again, not good Floridians. And they longed for the mountains certainly because it was a strategic military advantage. It was a place of more stability and safety for them, but there's more... It is significant that in the Old Testament, God's people do not just long for the mountains in general. They long for one mountain in particular. They long for Mount Zion. The location of the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where God has made, had made His home with them. That's where the temple was. That's where God's presence dwelt with His people. That's where He had made His home with them. And so they fear the sea because the sea takes them far from the presence of God. Verse 4, how does Jonah describe his drowning? I was cast away from your sight, your face, your presence. And what is Jonah's hope as he drowns? That I may again look on your holy temple. As Jonah descends into the sea, he calls out for the mountain of God's presence. So Jonah's song here is not just an individual's near-death experience. Jonah's song is an expression of universal loneliness. It is the expression of the desire for nearness With God. For the life that comes from being on the mountain of His presence. Jonah does not just cry out for breath. He cries out for home. And you know that cry, don't you? We know that cry. Jesus knew it as well. Because as Jesus descended into the grave, what did He cry out to His Father? My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Jesus was crying not only for breath, but for home, for the presence of His Father. We need the truth of the empty tomb because it is truth about the tomb And the tomb, the grave, speaks not only of our physical decay and demise, but it speaks of our distance from God. It speaks of our distance from the life for which we were created. The tomb speaks about the distance between the sea and the mountain. It says that we are far from the life for which we were made. You know that cry, don't you? Even if you don't admit it, you can hear the cry for home, the longing of loneliness in the stories and songs that we sing and tell. I've mentioned before that one of the members of my household is obsessed with the movie Frozen. So obsessed that my youngest son, some of his first words in this life were let it go. (laughs) What are the stories and songs of Frozen about? Loneliness. The longing for home. Another member of my household has subjected me to the to the torture of uh, the television show The Mindy Project. <laughs> What's that show about? As silly as it is, it's about a woman trying to deal with her loneliness. Talking with some of you last week about Wes Anderson's newest film, Grand Budapest Hotel. And Wes Anderson, for all his quirkiness, for all of his stylized filmmaking, every single one of his stories, what is the heart of every single one of his stories? It's the search for home, it's people trying to deal with their loneliness. And here's why we need the odd truth of Easter. As hard as this is to hear, the truth of the tomb tells us that all of the human relationships in the world, family, friends, romance, none of those will be able to deal with the core loneliness that we know as broken and sinful human beings. The tomb tells us that the heart of all those stories and songs is a longing for the presence of God. It is a longing to be taken out of the sea and put on the mountain, to be brought near to God's life-giving presence and to be at home with Him. And the truth of Easter tells us that none of our attempts at relationships will be able to accomplish that for us. That's a, little, that's a little sad for Easter Sunday morning, isn't it? That's a little heavy. It is truth, and we need to hear it. But the good news is that it is not all of the truth of Easter. It is not all the truth of the empty tomb. Yes, the tomb is there, but it is an empty tomb. And so we need to return to Jonah chapter 2 and what we'll find is that the truth of this text speaks not only of us, but it speaks of God. The odd truth of Easter tells us about ourselves, but it also tells us about who God is. Jonah here sings of a God who hears and answers the cry of His people. It's so right there at the beginning, verse 2. I cried and He answered. Verse 7, my prayer came to your temple. And all of this leads him to the climactic line of his poem in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God hears and answers the cries of, of his people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that is not just wishful thinking. That is proven truth. It's proven truth. Because Jonah sings in response to the actions of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. How do you know that? Well the fish. This creature of the sea, It surrounds Jonah's prayer just as it swallowed him. It is at the beginning of the prayer and at the end of the prayer. God appoints the fish and then He speaks to the fish. And listen, we think of the fish as punishment. But that's not its role in this story. The fish does not punish Jonah, it rescues Jonah. Notice Jonah sings in the past tense. He is in the belly of the fish saying, God has heard and answered my prayer. He has rescued me. I called to him and he responded. He responded with this fish. The fish is an instrument of rescue. So notice the progression. Jonah goes into the sea. He goes down into a watery grave God appoints the fish, it swallows him and preserves his life in the grave. And then God speaks to the fish and it deposits Jonah on dry ground to begin life anew. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord is the type of God who rescues drowning people. And puts them on dry ground. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is not a new confession. And that is not a new story. The movement from sea to dry ground, haven't we heard that one before? God's people Israel fleeing slavery and Egypt... Pharaoh and his army pursuing them, and they are trapped before what? Before a sea. And we call it the Red Sea, but that's a mistranslation. The word translated red is suf, and it's the word for reed or weed. It's the same word in verse 5 of our text, when Jonah says that the weeds are surrounding, they're going around his throat. So the people of Israel stand before a sea of weeds that threaten to choke out their life. And what does God do? He appoints a wind. He sends a wind, and it divides the sea. And what happens? They walk through on another Hebrew phrase from our text. One we find in verse 10. They walk through on dry land, just as God took the fish and deposited Jonah on dry land. Salvation belongs to to the Lord. He is the type of God who rescues drowning people and places them on dry ground. And do you remember the next stage of the story for God's people in Exodus? He puts them on dry ground, and where does He take them? He takes them to a mountain. He takes them to Mount Sinai, where they encounter the presence of, Of God, salvation belongs to the Lord. God is the type of God who rescues drowning people, gives them new life, and brings them into His life-giving presence. It's interesting in the cultures that surrounded ancient Israel, uh, and in particularly in Assyrian culture. And remember, Jonah was sent to Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria. In Assyrian culture, there was a judicial process called the water ordeal. And this is what happened. Someone was accused of a crime, and there wasn't enough evidence either way, innocent or guilty. And so they'd take the person and they'd throw them into a body of water. And they did it on the assumption that if they were innocent, the gods would help them float. And if they were guilty, the gods would let them sink. So think about the resonance of the story of Jonah, of the story of Israel, of all these stories of God rescuing people from the sea. Because notice, God doesn't rescue Jonah because he's innocent. God doesn't rescue Israel because they're innocent. God rescues Israel, He rescues Jonah, because He loves them. He rescues them not as a proof of their innocence, but as a proof of His own innocence. Character, as proof that salvation belongs to the Lord, that He is the God who saves, who rescues, and who brings broken, failing people into the life of His presence. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He proved it when He rescued Israel from the sea, He proved it when He rescued Jonah from the sea, and He proved it ultimately and finally when he rescued his own son, the one greater than Jonah, Jesus, from the grave. Jesus' name is based on the Hebrew name Joshua, and the Hebrew name Joshua is taken from this phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a name that means Yahweh, God saves. And so Jesus, because of our guilt, because of our sin, He descended into the grave and he descended crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there wasn't an answer. There was no fish for Jesus to protect him from the grave, was there? There was no divided sea for Jesus. No, he entered fully into the grave. He entered fully into death. And he remained there for a moment. And then an answer came, didn't it? When the Father raised the Son from the dead, he was saying, I have not forsaken you. I have not left you. I am the God who saves. The risen body of Jesus proclaims, salvation belongs to the Lord the risen body of Jesus says God is the God who rescues not only dying people but dead people brings them into the life of his presence Jesus rose from the dead to prove that true, to prove that salvation belongs to the Lord but that is not all Jesus died and rose not only to prove that truth, but to give it to us. He died and rose to take that confession, salvation belongs to the Lord, and hand it to us. So that it becomes our truth, it becomes our confession, it becomes our song, and it becomes our life. We who were dead in trespasses and sin have been raised to new life in Him. If we are in Jesus by faith, we can call out salvation belongs to the Lord, and we belong to the Lord who saves. We belong to the God who rescues dying and dead people and gives them the life of His presence. And that is a truth for now. That is a present truth because we live with the gift of God's presence. We live in His Holy Spirit. God's presence that empowers us to live out our calling and identity as His people. So it is a present truth, but it is not only a present truth. It is a future truth because God will send Jesus again. And Jesus will fully and finally raise us from the sea of death and take us eternally to the mountain of God's presence. That is our song. That is our life. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and we belong to the Lord who saves. Jazz musicians used to use something called a fake book. I don't know if they still do this. Uh, fake book, not Facebook. Facebook. And, uh, and, wh- and a fake book is a collection, it's an illegal <laughs> collection of, of popular songs. And, and, and these songs are written, the melodies are written out, and then it has chord names written out above the melodies. And, and what this allowed these musicians to do was to come to gigs and to be able to create music almost spontaneously. Uh, with people maybe they hadn't rehearsed with or ever played with before, they could come together, use these fake books to improvise on these tunes and create Spontaneous music. Jesus died and rose to give us a fake book. He died and rose to give us a collection of songs. And it's a perfectly legal collection because of what he has done. He gives us a collection of tunes. Tunes like the ones we find in Jonah chapter 2. Tunes that talk about a God who takes broken and lonely people and makes them new. And Jesus hands us those songs and He says, Improvise your life on that. Improvise your life on the odd truth of the empty tomb which says that salvation belongs to the Lord. That our God, our Father, if we are in Jesus, is the type of God who rescues drowning people. He is the type of God who rescues dying and even dead people and brings them into the new life of His presence. So when you are drowning this week, when you are drowning under the weight of your own sin when you are drowning under the weight of being sinned against, when you are drowning in fear and in grief, what will you sing? What kind of life will you improvise? Will you sing, salvation belongs to me and to my resources? Or with Jonah, will you open your hands in joyful desperation and say, salvation belongs to the Lord, and I belong to Him. Resurrection is an odd truth. And if you believe it, if you give your life to it, it will make you odd. But because of what it says about you, and what it says about God, it will in the end make you not only odd, but free. Let's pray.